Hello listeners and welcome to the Montel Weekly Podcast, bringing you energy matters in an informal setting. In today's pod, we look at what is currently driving prices in Europe's carbon market. As generally in other energy markets, the outlook changed dramatically on the 24th of February. A few weeks ago, some analysts expected prices to hit €100 Euros a tonne, but instead they plunged to 55 Why there's such a big fall? And what are the reasons for the current rebound above €70? Euros? Have carbon allowances become delinked from other commodities? Helping me, Richard Sverson, to address the reasons for the huge volatility are our friends Ingrid Soros of Refinitiv and Bernadette Papp of Virtus. A warm welcome to you both. Thank you, Richard. It's always nice to be here. Thank you very much for the invitation from my side as well. Excellent. I'd like to start off talking about the sell-off that happened. What was this all about? Was this, you know, is this speculators suddenly just pouring out of the market? I think it was kind of just all quite a lot of different factors uh, weighing in. And then when a snowball started to roll, uh, it was just this snowballing effect all these factors all together. It kind of moved in completely opposite directions from the other uh, energy commodities. And I would say kind of uh, the immediate reaction was most likely kind of that there were kind of people in the market, players in the market, uh, that was liquidating the EUA positions to cover margin calls uh, due to this kind of big increase in energy prices. And then kind of, I think it was kind of this snowball started to roll. And I think, uh, for instance, one was probably like, I would say, unfounded reasons and um, that EU ETS could be weakened. I mean, it's always kind of this policy risk. And I, I think you saw some rumors, like people putting it out on Twitter, EU ETS could be suspended. There will be more supply to the market. I mean, you had this kind of uh, bust in the market as well, uh, kicking in. But I think it also kind of, I mean, and of course, when going this deep down, it would also trigger quite a lot of stop losses in uh, for those that are kind of having positions in the market as well. And of course, I think, I mean, you have had industry receiving free allocations already for 2022. And that also some selling from, from industry uh, that needed to kind of uh, raise cash uh, to improve cash flows. I think that uh, could, could be part of the reason as well. And also one thing on the policy factors, uh, factor as well. I mean, we're in the middle of the uh, Fit for 55 policy debate. Uh, kind of worries that this would be kind of postponed or kind of put in the backseat because there was kind of a completely new crisis in Europe. So I think it was kind of this, all these factors at one uh, one thing kind of contributing to, to this fall. And of course, investors pulling out of the market when prices were just kind of going so steep down. You'll be pleased to know that uh, Montel News didn't put out any gossip or rumors. But Bernadette, if I can... Uh, turn to you. Do you share that view of why prices fell so dramatically in that period? Yes, I, I mainly share uh, Ingrid's view on on the market and why the price was plummeting uh, to 55 euros uh, last week. Actually, market participants uh, independently, if they are compliance entities in the EUETS or simple, let's call them speculators or financial entities without any compliance obligation, uh, they had to digest a shock. Uh, they were in a panic mood. And um, uh, of course, for, for the speculators, it was, let's say, easier to liquidate their positions because they do not need the allowances for compliance purposes. But we experienced uh, in uh, 
our case, as you might know, our company, Vertis Environmental Finance, is serving compliance entities. Our clients also took a step back, to be honest. As Ingrid also mentioned, um, the member states were distributing 2022 free allowances. And although uh, before the invasion of Ukraine by Russia, many of our clients uh, decided to purchase their shortage rather than use 2022 free allocation to cover their 2021 verified emissions. Now with this uncertainty, uh, many of them took a step back and, and decided to rather borrow 2022 free allowances in order to cover their previous emissions, simply because uh, they are still kept in uncertainty. They do not know what the future brings uh, for them. They have seen gas prices skyrocketing, electricity prices increasing. And let's confess, for their businesses, for their industrial processes, uh, they need these commodities. Uh, And therefore, whatever liquidity, whatever cash they had, they decided to keep uh, for gas and electricity. So what we have seen from, from their side was rather holding uh, purchases and uh, and uh, borrowing allowances. However, I also have to say that there were a couple of companies among them who tried to catch the dip and, and uh, used uh, the falling prices to top up their hoardings, uh, buying allowances for this compliance or the next. So the the picture is really different from, let's say, company to company and also country to country. Uh, Regarding speculators, uh, of course, transactions on the exchange uh, happen anonymously. Uh, There are always uh, market rumors. Uh, What we could see, and um, of course, there are also official reports uh, we have access to, is that indeed many financial entities reduced uh, their holdings in the the carbon market. They turned to safe havens uh, as it's a rational uh, thing to do in the time of a war we are living in right now. Many of them have also lost funds. From Russia, they were uh, using uh, money from from Russian entities. Uh, they lost uh, these days, and of course, as Ingrid also mentioned, uh, we have to keep also in mind uh, the technical aspect. So the price fell below significant support levels uh, that triggered stop loss orders uh, in the market. So again, <laughs> a mixed picture indeed. Absolutely, that's very clear. So if I can turn to you, Ingrid, and ask. Now, we've seen the rebound. What, what are the reason, reasons for that? We're up above 70. I think, first, first of all, it's, uh, I mean, the, the plunge wasn't really kind of fundamentally driven at, at any point. So in that sense, it seems, I mean, we're still, still looking at a year where you will have quite a lot of coal burns because of this tight gas situation and the gas crisis that Europe is in. And also, so kind of we're, we're heading towards another year where we see kind of high power sector emissions. I think it's still kind of, I mean, there will be most likely that we'll see. I mean, we see news now that industrial companies are reducing production due to the high energy cost, high electricity cost, high gas, gas prices. So, of course, this demand disruption could kind of be on the bearish side, but still we have this safety net 
that helped the European carbon market through the previous crisis, which was the corona pandemic, when a demand was plunging. And then kind of this safety net, this certainty that, okay, if you would have lower demand, that would be kind of soaked up by this market stability reserve, kind of even though with the delay. So, I mean, we saw that supporting prices back in 2020. And I think that is also kind of giving certainty to the market that we're not kind of getting this copy paste of the economic recession that we had kind of early in, in uh, kind of 2008, 2009. In the longer term, you have uh, the 2030 target is still 55% below 1990 levels. You have a climate neutrality target in 2050. So, of course, you know that policy is kind of on the supportive side. And I would also say, uh, I mean, we're heading towards compliance reporting for 2021 emissions is like the deadline is uh, end end of March. And compliance to comply with your uh, 2021 emissions is end of April. So I think kind of this still this compliance for 2021 emissions is still also a supportive element of why we have seen kind of the rebound from 55 and up to above 70. We'll get back to some of those issues a bit later on. But do you think then we've hit the bottom? Yes, I think we have seen the bottom. That might be kind of a stupid thing to say, uh, since (laughs) (laughs) things are changing quite fast. It's a very brave thing to say. (laughs) I think... uh, one one thing for that is kind of uh, that these fundamental factors are all kind of a bit supportive, but also that, I mean, like this psychological floor is, I would say, is also the 60 level because the 60 euro per ton is really what the coalition, the German coalition government came out and said in their coalition document that they was kind of they intended to work to get ice floor in the EUTS on the EU level. If that wasn't possible, they would kind of imply or kind of get a 60 euro price floor for those sectors covered in EUTS at 60 euros. So I think this kind of uh, mental barrier of 60 is still kind of could hold up prices. What do you think, Bernadette? What could drive prices to 55 or even below that level uh, again? I'm not this brave uh, as Ingrid, to be <laughs> honest. <laughs> so I would only dare saying that 55 was the bottom uh, if I could see the end of the war, which unfortunately I still cannot. And uh, I think that the longer the war lasts, the more severe the economic consequences. And there can be another wave of panic, as I've mentioned before, it's very difficult to to say that uh, it's over because simply the war is not over. However, I, I also think that on the long run, uh, we will have higher prices uh, because, uh, as Ingrid also mentioned, we have a 2030 target and a 2050 target we have to reach. And it was very interesting that um, the new IPCC report has been just published a couple of days after the start of the war. And it raised our attention on the fact that we have to act on climate change. uh, Otherwise, the consequences will be devastating. And in the EU, uh, the emissions trading system is one of the main tools uh, to fight against climate change and to reduce greenhouse gas emissions in the economy. So therefore, I think that even if we see uh, lower prices in the upcoming weeks, 
because of, of the negative consequences, mainly economic consequences of the war. On the long run, we will see higher carbon prices uh, because this is absolutely necessary uh, in order to, to decarbonize or um, industrial processes, the power sector and the economy uh, as a whole. What's your view on, on 2021 emissions, Bernadette? Obviously, Ingrid mentioned the compliance buying that will be going on in, in March and April. It's obviously going to show a sharp increase over 2020 levels. So that's, that's the outlier. That's when, you know, the demand destruction, the year of demand destruction and the COVID, COVID pandemic. But what, what's your view on 2021? We made our calculations and we are also speaking to lots of compliance entities because we are serving them. So um, what we experienced was um, uh, a definitely better year in 2021 regarding um, activities than in 2020. So all in all, uh, in, in many sectors, we expect uh, numbers increasing regarding uh, verified emissions in the power sector as well, especially because uh, many companies had to use more fossil in, in some cases, for example, in, in Romania, we received reports from clients that they would like to burn gas, but physically it was not available. So they had to turn to even more polluting fuels. So therefore, in the power sector, we also expect uh, higher emissions than we have seen in uh, 2020. And maybe another sector that is, is worth highlighting is aviation sector, uh, where we also expect uh, to see significantly higher emissions uh, than we have seen in 2020. Of course, still below uh, the 2019 uh, levels. What tends the picture a little bit is actually the effect of gas and power prices in the last quarter of 2021, if you remember, there have been plenty of company announcements made. Maybe I, I might highlight the fertilizer sector that suffered quite a lot from high gas prices and they had to reduce or even halt uh, productions. So this might dent uh, the picture a little bit, but looking at the overall number, uh, we expect year-on-year increase in verified emissions compared to 2020. Could I ask you to put a figure on that or even a percentage rise? You know, I know it's, I know it's early days yet. Yeah. So all in all, uh, compared to 2020, uh, what we calculated is around between 4 and 6% increase. Thank you. And, and you, Ingrid, what's your forecast for last year's emissions? Yeah, so it's much of the same story as Bernadette says. We will see kind of an increase in emissions. Um, I don't have the number in front of me, so <laughs> we're coming out with a, our, our uh, final estimates very shortly. Okay, excellent. Hopefully you can pass them on to us <laughs> and we can put a story out on that. But uh, I think you mentioned as well, as we cut or the intention is to cut our use of Russian gas. What does this mean for carbon? I mean, does this, this mean, you know, you see in Estonia, they're extending shale oil production there. We're burning more coal in places like Germany. What, what does that mean for carbon? Is it, surely that's quite a bullish factor. We are seeing kind of higher power sector emissions happening. But of course, uh, that's more for the shorter uh, run. I mean, you see also the communication from the European Commission that they kind of have like a strong focus on rapid clean energy transition and kind of the push that you need to speed up 
the renewable phase compared to even what was proposed earlier to lose this dependence on uh, Russian gas or fossil fuels, which you, you rely on imports. Uh, so I think kind of, yes, in the short term, I mean, that's bullish thing for carbon. But of course, in the longer term, that means that you could actually speed up the power sector emission reductions and also focus on energy efficiency measures. So I think this communication is also kind of giving a stronger kind of push for uh, speeding up energy efficiency across across Europe as well. So it's it's really so kind of in the longer term. I mean, I think Timmermans also said earlier that, I mean, if the Green Deal had happened earlier, I mean, that was before the uh, Ukrainian war. But uh, when we had the energy crisis of kind of gas hitting record high levels, he also said that, okay. We need to push for the Green Deal. We need to kind of the reliance on fossil fuels. We should kind of uh, lose that dependence. So overall, I would say that that picture means that you uh, will kind of, are you putting more measures in place to get uh, sooner emission reduction cuts uh, regardless of the carbon price? Um, then that could also be uh, be uh, a bearish factor for carbon. Uh, but that said, I was also kind of, um, of course, the MSR, Market Stability Reserve, is also working when uh, emissions are increasing or decreasing. So, of course, kind of, if you would see kind of, uh, I mean, last year you saw an increase in emission, that means oversupply is shrinking. So that means market stability is uh, taking out less. That could also be the case if then uh, emissions are rising due to a higher coal burn and, and higher kind of oil <laughs> Uh, oil power production as well. Um, and then kind of looking forward, if that means uh, a more kind of rapid in, uh, inflow of, of renewables and lower power sector emissions, uh, the market stability will work on surplus regardless of kind of if it's increasing or, or decreasing. Mm. I mean, I think you you both mentioned these, these very high prices for, for gas, for electricity. We're on very volatile times. Bernadette, what kind of advice would you give to to people trying to hedge their carbon exposure in, in, the, in these kind of markets? It's very difficult to provide any advice in, in these uh, difficult times because, as I've mentioned before, if companies need their liquidity uh, to continue their business, then you won't be able to convince them to purchase uh, allowances. Uh, because they they would think that, okay, I would need maximum those allowances in one year's time when the next compliance comes. However, we always used to uh, suggest to our clients that in the times of, of volatile prices, and let's be honest, carbon has been always volatile, maybe not to this extent, but uh, but always the wisest thing is to achieve, let's say, a nice average price for the year. This means that um, the best thing companies can do is cutting their uh, hedging needs into trenches, uh, depending on the volume, of course, uh, purchasing allowances every quarter or every month or, um, or on a more regular basis. And this way achieve a nice uh, average price for the year because it's impossible uh, to fish the bottom. No one has been successful doing that in the past. Another thing would be that um, could be a good idea in these uh, times when 
cash is really very essential for the companies just to secure their future price uh, of, of covering their emissions uh, via purchasing options, for example, coal options. Uh, this way, they fix the price, of course, at a certain premium they have to pay in front, but then they will know the cost they face uh, for the compliance. So there are a couple of strategies companies uh, might follow, but of course, if priorities are different for the companies, then it's very difficult to uh, give an advice. And um, no one of us lived in times of war until now. And therefore, it is very difficult and challenging. No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there's no, no, no sign of the end to this volatility. But if I can just ask you a final question. So starting with you, Ingrid, do you expect us to, to hit 100 euros a, a tonne this year? I think that's kind of very difficult to say now. I mean, in this super volatile times, and I mean, we have plenty of bullish and bearish factor kind of that could possibly kind of uh, kick in. So I think there's big uncertainty. It, I think it's like not easy to say if it's going to hit hit 100 or not. I mean, we before this Ukrainian war, I mean, we had most kind of bullish, uh, we saw kind of Q1 as bullish, especially being supported by compliance uh, since 2021 emission rose. No, so I think it's, uh, I think I will not uh, bet on <laughs> bet on 100 if we're reaching it or not. Okay, fair enough. And how about you, Bernadette? I'm also cautious here. So I would say that of course, we cannot exclude the possibility. However, the probability has decreased significantly compared to the times before the war. And on that note, I'd like to thank you both very much for joining the Montel Weekly podcast this week. Thank you. Thank you very much for having us. So listeners, you can now follow the podcast on our own Twitter account, aptly named the Montel Weekly podcast. Please direct message any suggestions questions or you know let us know if you if you think you have a good idea for a guest on the show you can also send us an email to podcast at montelnews.com lastly remember to keep up to date with all that's happening in energy markets on montel news you can subscribe on apple podcasts and spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from thank you and goodbye